Chapter One of Wise and Otherwise. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Wise and Otherwise by Pansy. Chapter One. I have given thee a wise and an understanding heart. She stood with head bent a little on one side and a look of pleased eagerness on her face, surveying her handiwork. It was a beautiful room, a green and mossy carpet on the floor, a green tint to the paper on the wall, green borders to the white linen shades, heavy walnut furniture, cushioned in green, two dainty sofas in corresponding corners, another corner occupied with one of those delightful arrangements whose delightful name suggests its pleasant use, a what-not. I do wonder who originated that name. This species of it was beautiful to look upon. Its carving was delicate and graceful, as became its belongings. Charming little books, rows of them in green and gold, and on the upper shelves lovely sea-tinted shells, a moss basket with a fern in the center and dainty vines trailing over the edges, a photograph in a shell frame of a fair-faced kneeling child, another in a frame of purple velvet of that wonderful face and figure clinging to the rock of ages, delicate white vases holding sprays of sweet-smelling flowers, rare little bits of art and skill and taste scattered endlessly among the larger treasures, and, oh, what not! Filling one entire end of the room was a handsome bookcase, with massive doors of plate glass, some books therein, but much space left vacant for the fortunate owner of beloved books. The walls were hung with choice pictures, with here and there an illuminated text of rare beauty and strength. On the wide window-seat a potted rose was blooming, a sweet-scented geranium by its side helped to perfume the air. An open door revealed an inner room, as perfect in its way as the other. A chamber set of rich and graceful pattern, the smooth, white bed smiling on you, from the puffy frilled pillow-covers to the glowing fuchsias painted on the foot-scroll, and beyond, still, just a glimpse of bathroom and dressing-room, fragrant with various soaps and prodigal of mirrors and towels. Certainly everything was complete. Mrs. Sales lifted a vase of geraniums and pansies from one of the little tables and set it on the window-seat, then, after a little, went for it and brought it back again to the table. The effect was better. Clearly there was nothing left to do. She had exhausted her skill and taste. "'Abby,' called a clear, ringing voice, and the owner of it had one foot on the stair below and stood looking up. Mrs. Sales at once responded, "'Yes, come up, Julia, and see the rooms.' And Mrs. Dr. Douglas ran swiftly upstairs and joined her cousin. "'You have heard nothing about her, at least since her sister Esther died, except from her own pen, when she was Julia Reed. So I may as well tell you that she is a handsome woman, well-dressed and well-appearing, with more dignity than you have an idea of her possessing, and yet with a dash of the impetuosity of manner that characterized her girlhood.' She spoke in the same brisk, rapid tone that she was wont to use. How perfectly delightful you have made them! Abby, what is this? Oh, I see, a wildwood vine. Isn't it lovely? Oh, how pleasant it is! I should like to be the new minister myself and come and board with you for the sake of these rooms. Do you suppose they will like them? Like them? Unless they are barbarians, they will be enchanted. Where is Jerome? The doctor has been ready for him this half-hour. I don't know. He had some business to attend to, but he said he should certainly be in time for the train. Why, it is not train time yet, is it? Oh, no, only Jerome is always more than prompt. 
Sit down a minute, Abby. You look tired. These chairs haven't become ministerial yet. I'll try one. And Mrs. Douglas sank into one of the great green chairs, while Abby took an ottoman just in front. It's a queer world, Mrs. Douglas continued, pursuing aloud her train of thought. Just to think of you, Abby Reed, in your own house, getting rooms ready for the new minister and his wife and I, Julia Reed, leaving my multitudinous cares to come up here and gossip with you about it. That last, though, is natural enough. You have left out a most important part, Mrs. Sales said, laughing, namely, that you are not Julia Reed, and I am not Abby Reed, but we are both staid and dignified married women. I, I have a realizing sense of that fact, at least I realize the doctor. But about this new minister's wife, Abby, are you going to like her? I mean to, Mrs. Sales said, setting her lips with a resolute little air that reminded one of Abby Reed. Let us begin right, Julia, and like her anyway. If her husband has chosen her from all other women, she must be a suitable wife for him. Doesn't follow, answered Mrs. Douglas promptly. For instance, the doctor chose me. Well, said Mrs. Sales brightly, granted that that was a singular blunder. Mr. Douglas is different from most other men, you know, in a great many respects. Generally they make very good selections, and do you know I want so much to like this woman, to find a helper in her spiritually. I want to do so much for her comfort and pleasure, and I don't know how to commence. You'll discover, I haven't the least doubt. But don't your heart ache for just a five minutes' talk with Mrs. Mulford? Mrs. Sales turned herself around from her sideways position, and looked at her cousin fully and earnestly. Julia, don't, I beg of you, whisper such a sentence in this room. I am afraid it will hide among the curtains or somewhere, and come out to haunt them. And if there is anything that does seem horrible to me, it is when anybody and his wife are trying to do the very best that they can, to have somebody politely and solemnly fling Mr. and Mrs. or Miss somebody else at them, who are patterns of excellence. I know, assented Mrs. Douglas cordially. Frank was discoursing on that very theme last evening. She was telling the doctor that if she were a minister, she would hope that her predecessor had been an excellent man, that the people had loved him to distraction, and that he had died and gone to heaven, in which case she wouldn't expect to hear very much about him. But to receive a six-thousand-dollar call to Boston, as Dr. Mulford has done, was so much more important a matter than going to heaven, that she heartily pitied our new minister and his wife. I consoled her, however, continued Mrs. Douglas, by assuring her that Mrs. Martin would be the only one who would be likely to ring the changes very extensively on Dr. Mulford's name, and the newcomers could keep out of her way until she had a new idea. "'Mrs. Martin!' repeated Mrs. Sales, in a laughing astonishment. "'Why in the world should she trouble her brains over Dr. Mulford?' "'Isn't your knowledge of human nature deep enough to comprehend that fact? Didn't Mrs. Martin cordially dislike him?' and didn't she give him more trouble than all the rest of the people put together? And aren't they the very persons who always have the most to say about our beloved former pastor? What an idea, said Mrs. Sale, still laughing, and Mrs. Douglas added emphatically, You see if it isn't just as I say. I have heard such people talk before. It is my bounden duty to go home. Where is baby Essie? In the nursery, and Julia— said Mrs. Sales, rising to follow her flying visitor into the hall, I think she is asleep. I told the doctor how you awakened her out of a sound sleep, and he said you must not do it. I am not afraid of the doctor, Mrs. Douglas answered, looking back with a little defiant laugh. 
but I won't waken her this morning, because I really am in too much haste. Mrs. Sayles went back to her fair bright rooms to take one last peep at them. There really didn't seem to be anything else that she could do for them to evince her love and respect for the occupants. Yes, one thing more. She closed the hall door quietly, turned the key in the lock, then going over to the study chair, she sank on her knees before it. And if that coming pastor could have heard the earnest, simple, trustful prayer that went up to God for him and his, I think he must have been strengthened in his resolves and efforts. It was in a sense a dedication of these newly prepared rooms to their new use. The heart of Mrs. Sayles evidently retained in all its freshness and simplicity the singularly childlike earnest faith that had characterized Abby Reed. Kneeling there, she entered into solemn covenant with her Savior to watch her life and her words and her heart, to see that in no way did she interfere with the usefulness and happiness of her pastor and his wife, to see that in all things she proved a help and not a stumbling block. She prayed that his work among them might be blessed to the church and to his own soul, that he might be constantly upheld by the strong arm, that his armor might be sufficient to shield him from the darts that would be flung at him here and there. In short, she tried to envelop him and themselves in an atmosphere of prayer and faith. Thank God for the earnest, childlike Christians, who, when they kneel to pray, carry their under-shepherds by faith to the very footstool of the throne, and bring every thought that they have concerning them and their work to the solemn test of prayer. Only God knows how much of the success of certain great and eminent ministers of the gospel is due to those humble, unknown closet-workers. It was when the hostess was in the kitchen, seeing to it that the preparations for dinner were going steadily and prosperously forward, that the stopping of a carriage before the door, a rattle of trunks upon the pavement, a bustle in the hall, and the cheery voice of her husband calling her name, announced the arrival of the travellers a few minutes earlier than they were expected. She waited only to unfasten her large apron, rub a little streak of flour from her cheek, and then ran hastily up, a bright glad light of welcome in her eyes, and gave most hearty and cordial reception to her new pastor, then turned to take her first look at the small fair creature at his side as he said, And now, Mrs. Sayles, let me make you acquainted with Mrs. Tresevant. End of chapter 1 Recording by Tricia G.